What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Dear Vane Podcast. I'm riding solo today. Again, Anthony Heller, for those of you who are listening to this for the first time. Uh, and uh, today I wanted to go over a little bit about what happened during my turkey season because that sucks. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. The damn birds are wily and all over the place and talkative and not talkative, but you know, whatever, we'll get to that. But uh, the other thing I want to talk about is kind of if you like what you can be doing right now for deer hunting, you know, kind of uh, what you're doing this spring, it's pretty much spring's almost over. We're almost into summer. I consider June summer. And then you start getting into, you know, what you can be doing over the summer and then fall in preparation for deer hunting season. And we're going to go over things for public land as well as private land. So regardless of whether you hunt exclusively one or the other, there should be some good information in here for you. And, and hopefully I can at least, you know, trigger your mind or give you guys some, some nuggets that'll help you out this fall. Things that I've learned in the past. So first of all, starting on the turkey hunting stuff. Yeah, I hate gobblers. Um, they are very talkative when they're in a tree. And then once they get out of the tree, they tend to shut up and run the other direction from me. So this year, this year was tough. The new property that we were hunting, um, as many of you know, my private, my family bought a piece of private land. It's 110 acres, mainly all wooded. Um, it's got 25 acres of, of crop ground on it. But that 25 acres, I've never seen a deer in it except at night. And I've only seen turkeys in it in the winter. That was this last winter, which was the first winter I've ever been there. Other than that, no turkeys in the spring, um, no turkeys in the fall, no deer in the fall or anything. It's it's really interesting. It's uh, I'm not 100% sure why. Um, it's not really that exposed to the road. In fact, there's one um, one like small chunk that's like 12 acres that is very well hidden and deer can easily go out there and never see a human or anything. And, uh, I still get pictures of them pretty much exclusively at night, unless it's, you know, just the odd doe and fawn combination or something like that. So anyway, um, turkey hunting, uh, I just, you know, we'd heard gobbles and I spent a lot of the time on that private land because I wanted to check it out. I wanted to see what was going on. And we'd hear gobbles in the morning. Um, we'd go get set up. We'd set up decoys. We'd call. They would respond. And then it seemed like they you, you'd hear them fly out of the tree somewhere. Sometimes you'd even see them. And then they'd hit the ground and just disappear. Not come in. We'd sit for two, three, four hours knowing that they're in the area. And every now and then one would sound off. But it's it just wasn't good. And then, and then other times we went and hunted my buddy's Parker land, which is uh, only about 15 minutes away. And, uh, that one is that piece of land was, um, uh, good as well. Lots of gobbles, lots of action. And we got into them. Uh, if we had a shotgun, we would have killed them one day, but, uh, Parker wanted to go with his bow. He wanted to shoot one with his new Matthews. So, you know, he ended up biting the bullet on that and eating his words because he got caught creeping through the woods when he was trying to sneak up on one. And it was also sneaking up on us. And yeah, it just didn't work out. So anyway, turkey hunting for me kind of sucked this year. Um, I know a lot of my listeners are from Wisconsin, but uh, if you aren't from Wisconsin, our seasons are actually extremely strange. I learned that this year. A lot of people were asking me about them. So uh, and also for you Wisconsinites, if you ever talk to, you know, other people from out of state and tell them about our turkey season, their mouth will pretty much drop. And they're like, "Are nah, you're nuts. You're, 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 that's not how it is. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so anyway, the biggest thing about our turkey season is that essentially you can almost get unlimited unlimited tags. So if you want to shoot eight birds a year, you, you have the capability to do that. And uh, Wisconsin's set up into like six or seven turkey hunting zones. And within those zones, every there's six, six or seven weeks as well. It's A, B, C, D, E, and I think F. So six weeks of turkey hunting season. Um, and you buy a license for that week. So if you get week A, you, you know, you have that week from Wednesday to Tuesday to hunt, and then you have to be done on two on the, the following Wednesday. And that's when week B starts. So, um, essentially how, so that's how it all lays out and you get A, B, C, D, E, or F, and you have to apply for a week in a specific zone, um, by December 3rd. So say you want zone one, you can apply for week A in zone one. And then they also give you like, okay, if you don't get, you know, your first choice, what's your second and third choice. And then you just put them in there and they'll, uh, you know, they'll then issue the permits. I don't know, in like January or February or something, something like that. So you all, everybody puts in for one permit. You get your permit. If you're, if you're lucky, you get first week or whatever week you want your first choice. And then after that, uh, everybody gets one permit and then come, I think like February or March, the state Wisconsin DNR opens it up for all the additional permits that are left over. So essentially they say, Hey, you know, in zone one, you know, there's still 14,000 tags left, you know, there's 1000 in, in week D and, uh, 2000 in week E and 4,000 in week F. And then that just opens it up and anybody can buy those tags right then and there. And, but you can only buy one per day. So essentially, um, you know, the, the first weeks, week A, B and C pretty much sell out right away for all the zones because that's the, that everybody wants those weeks. And then, and it starts like late April, mid to late April, and then runs through, um, Memorial day was pretty much the last day. So today, uh, May 26th. So then with that all said, um, those permits, like I said, you can buy one a day. So if, if you're in an area that doesn't sell out completely, I mean, you can just keep buying one a day and one a day and one a day, and it doesn't have to be in the week. It can be out of the week. Like I can buy, you know, if I'm in week a, I can buy, you know, a week F permit today and then tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And I can keep buying those, you know, and I don't know what the number is. I've never, I've, I've one year I had seven tags. Um, so that's the most I've ever had, but yeah, it's pretty strange. And, uh, we just have a ton of turkeys and the reason they do the weeks thing is for safety reasons. Same with zo zones are more about biological factors and how many turkeys there are and, and how much pressure there is. Uh, cause like the Milwaukee zone and I always get the zone numbers screwed up, but the Milwaukee area always generally sells out the fastest. Whereas the Western side of the state, like lacrosse down to Platteville generally never sells out and they always have additional tags. And that's why you get guys like, uh, Dylan and, uh, Brennan and Mike from the breaking point who shoot, you know, last year they shot 14 turkeys in a weekend, um, between pretty much those four guys three guys. And then there's one other guy there, you know, and this year they shot eight in a weekend. So, I mean, you can, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but at the same time, 
it's very interesting. You know, a lot of times other states are just like, yeah, you get one tag and you can hunt any time during this month. Whereas Wisconsin's got all these different zones and weeks and how many birds you can kill and things like that. But anyway, that's, that's all that for all you Wisconsin people, you know, that for all you out of staters, like look into it. If you're interested, there's pretty much always tags. If you ever wanted to come to Wisconsin and hunt turkeys and they're not too expensive either. But, uh, but aside from turkey hunting, you know, getting into deer hunting, uh, that's pretty much, I've mainly been, to be honest with you, I, I turkey hunt until about, you know, 10 or 11 AM. And then I'm looking at trees and I'm checking deer's trails and I'm looking more for sheds and where I want to set up tree stands and, and kind of going over that whole thing, you know, midday. And then in the afternoon, I'm kind of just doing work around the property and maybe heading home, you know, whatever. But, uh, but the big thing for me, um, right now is I've ran trail cameras and I will continue to run trail cameras. I have them all pulled in right now. Uh, cause I'm just reevaluating where they all were. And then I'm going to redeploy a bunch here in the next probably week or so. And I like to run them over the summer. Um, a, just because I think it's fun. Like trail cameras are just fun to have and, uh, have out and you can catch a lot of cool interactions. We have some bobcats. We have some pretty big owls that I've got on camera. We got some fun, like springs, just cool stuff. I like to set them on video and things like that. But the other real reason is there are certain trails on our property as well as on public that I'm going to be hunting, uh, that I don't know what time of day the deer use them. Is it all nocturnal? Is it morning? Is it evening? What is the predominant time of day that deer will use these trails? And I, I don't know those answers. And you can only gather so much information during hunting season because for me, like I'm not wasting time checking trail cameras when I could be sitting in a tree and hunting, uh, or I try not to do that. At least there's sometimes that I do, but I always like if I'm hunting, if I'm going in there to hunt in the fall, I'm always got my bow with me and I'm going to try to hunt. And I'm very cautious about my entry and exit routes. So I'm not spreading my scent everywhere, which makes it really difficult to check trail cameras because a lot of them are on heavily used trails. So then the deer will know I'm there. So I just kind of really limit that time. And generally during season, if I am checking trail cameras, I'm going right before a, a big rain, you know, or after a hunt where I'm not going to be there for, I know I'm not going to be there for a week or two or whatever, because I know it'll kind of settle down in that time. And the rain will just wash all your scent away or extremely windy days where you can get away with a lot of movement and a lot of noise. That's another time where I'll check when I'll check trail cameras. But other than that, um, I kind of leave them in the same spots during season. So then in this off season, when I don't really care about disrupting deer movement or having them smell me, they're pretty much, uh, and deer, you know, they know they're being hunted in the fall and they, and they know they're kind of free to roam around in the, in the spring and summer. That's why you see so many turkey hunting and they don't really care about your scent and things like that. They just, they just know it's been their lifestyle forever. And that's what their parents ingrained in them is, you know, you need to be afraid of, scary moving objects and trees in the fall. And other than that, they're fine. <laughs> um, so anyway, I set these trail cameras out on all these trails that I never checked during season. And that just helps me understand what time of day these deer move through certain areas. So then I know is that a morning stand or an evening stand, what type of deer are using that area? Is it bucks or is it mainly does? Cause there's, I've been you know, I have nine, nine cameras on 110 acres and I've been rotating them 
fairly uh, often, you know, since January trying to find these areas. And there's a pretty cool group of bachelor box, you know, four box that are always pretty much always together. One of them's a tank. He's already growing pretty well. Uh, and I'm very excited to see what he turns into. He was about 130 inch eight point. So I'm hoping he busts out to one that 150 range or so this year. Um, there's a couple others that are going to be, you know, in that 130, 140 inch range that I got. And they're still traveling in their bachelor groups together, which is cool. I, I just really enjoy learning this stuff and I'm learning it through trail cameras, not not through, you know, being there all the time. So, um, so I've been able to find areas where I thought there was great deer movement because I always found deer beds and I always found good trails and lots of tracks, but really it was a doe group four does that were just always moving through a specific area and bedding in very, uh, sporadic places. So I thought it was a lot of different deer bedding and really it was only four that were just bedding different spots all the time. And they were using the same trails. So the snow showed, you know, great deer movement, but really it wasn't, it was just the same group of four going in and out and in and out of this bedding area all the time. And there were very, very few bucks in that area. Whereas there was another spot that I found um, where it looked good. It looked like a good trail, but I wasn't quite sure about it. And I set a trail camera on it and I got good bucks. I got good does and like 60 to 70% of daylight shootable pictures were in the morning. So I know that if I want to get in there, uh, I want to get to that and I want to hunt that in the morning and I can understand they're coming off some egg fields about 250 yards away and they're moving into a bedding area on the neighbors. So that also gives me information on what entry and exit route I need to plan for, for there, where I should set my tree stand. Because originally I was thinking I picked a tree based on just the trail itself and how I would access it um, in an evening hunt. Cause I just assumed that the deer would be coming out to the field from there and going to the field, but it was very rare that they were actually going to the field. They were just always coming back. So I need to plan a totally different route, um, for my entry and exit. And I need to pick a totally different tree too. And I need to hunt it on a different wind because, because of those factors. So that information is very valuable to me. And that's why I still continue to run trail cameras and why I like to set them up and really just understand how these trails are used. For me, the more information I have, the best, better educational guess I can have, the more, uh, hopefully, the more encounters and opportunity I can have. So that's what, that's my trail camera strategy. Um, and then I touched on there's tree stands and entry and exit routes. The next one I want to jump into right now is tree stands. So uh, I don't necessarily, I don't, I have one tree stand hung up right now because I, wanted to actually I have two, but just one that's new. And, uh, I wanted to get in there and trim it out before it got too nasty because it was just, it's a really thick spot with lots of overgrowth on it. And I just didn't want to do that in the summer. So I, I went in there when it was all, um, you know, dead, no foliage or anything and trimmed all that out. Uh, and that'll just make it easier come August when I have to go back and trim it again. Cause all these things, you know, vegetation grows, plants grow. Don't think that if you trim it now, it's going to, you're going to roll up and, you know, on September 15th, when season opens and you're going to, uh, be able to just sit down and have all your shooting lanes open. You really have to go back and trim it again 
um, to make sure that, you know, all your lanes are back open. And on that note for trimming, um, you really want to make sure that you're not trimming more than you need. That is a, a big mistake. I see a lot of people make is, you know, they want to trim a lane that a semi can drive through rather than what an arrow can fly through. So that, you know, when you trim all that out, a lot of times deer, you know, it's their bed, it's their house. And you're literally like kind of cutting down a wall in their house. They're going to notice and they're going to go, why is that wall missing? What's going on? And they're going to avoid it for a while. But whereas if you just cut a very small hole in that wall, it's much less noticeable to them. And it'll keep you when you're in your tree stand more hidden as well, that brush will conceal you better rather than having it wide open and letting them be able to easily see you. So it, you know, that's me setting up tree stands and trimming real quick. I have, I have what I've done though, is based on the information that I've gathered from last fall, plus running trail cameras and scouting this spring is I've picked a lot of trees. So what I like to do is go around and I just mark them on Onyx maps and I go this tree, is where I want to have a tree stand. And uh, if I had a can of spray paint with me, I think that'd be a really good idea as well. You know, maybe a bright blue or something like that and just pick that tree so you know exactly where it is come, you know, the fall or whenever you want to hang a tree stand in that area. And then I, I do have to trim some more of those out because uh, the property that we're on hasn't been, it's been hunted, but uh, it's only the previous hunter only hunted like the edges of the field really never got into the woods, never got really deep. I learned that from the, uh, uh, the, the adjacent landowners, they're deer hunters. And they were like, yeah, you never went into these thicker areas. And that's why they're so thick and nasty. There's no tree stands, no lanes or anything is because he was just never in there. So, um, anyway, uh, I like to pick all these trees. So I have about 15 trees picked out where I want to set tree stands. And then I think about it, I'm like, man, I really don't want to buy 15 tree stands because that's generally going to be about $1,500 for the tree stands or something in that range. And then I need to buy a climbing method for all them as well. So, you know, maybe I'm spending another $2,000 or another $1,000 on climbing methods, you know, sticks and pegs and ladders and whatever, you know, so... I'm kind of debating on what I want to do there right now. I'm going to get some tree stands for sure, but I also want to use my saddle on some because I'm not a hundred percent sure if they're good trees yet. Um, just kind of stuff I've found after season, like, man, this spot looks really good. Do I want to get set up in it? Which kind of leads me to the public land piece, which is the same thing that I just said is right now is a phenomenal time to get out and mark all those trees really before it gets too green and right now also is fairly comparable it's going to get a little bit greener but it's comparable to what you're going to go into uh in september so you know if there if you if you're finding an area and you're like man this is a great spot um and there's all these branches in the way of your shooting lane and all this foliage it's going to be there in september as well so that is one of the the downfalls of scouting hard in like February, March is you may look at a spot and be like, man, this has great shooting lanes. There's no branches in my way or anything. And we're all good. Then you come back in September and all these leaves and all these branches have greened up and now they're covering all your shooting lanes. And it, you're like, shit, 
now this spot isn't any good. I need to find a, a new tree in this same area and I need to reevaluate how I'm going to hunt this area. And that can really mess you up as well. So there is, there is a positive to going out now. Um, definitely uh, be aware of ticks. Um, be aware of mosquitoes because they are starting to pop really hard. And um, But going out and marking those trees, I think, is a great idea. So that come hunting season, you're able to just kind of walk out there and scoot up a tree that you've already pre-picked, especially in the dark. You know, that's one thing that I hate and I really get like anxiety and, and analysis paralysis on is if I'm in the dark in a new spot in the morning and I'm trying to pick a tree, God, it takes me about 30 to 40 minutes to do it. <laughs> I will in an, like I'll plan, you know, say I plan an hour to get to a tree, to get set up. Um, I'll probably plan 20 minutes of walking 20 to 20 to 30 minutes of looking at the tree and then another, you know, 10 to 20 minutes of actually getting set up just because I know myself and I just constantly like, Oh, if I go in this tree, these shooting lanes will be good, but I'll probably get picked out. If the deer come from here, well, where are the deer going to come from? Well, I don't know. I've never been here before. And I just have these conversations in my own head about how this is all going to play out. Sometimes I come to the conclusion, sometimes it just gets, starts getting light and I just pick one and go. <laughs> I'm sure many of you have also been in, in those scenarios, but, uh, really picking those trees and marking out what trees and you can't, you know, you can't like go around and spray paint all these different trees on public. A, I'm pretty sure it's illegal and B, um, people will know what tree you're going to, especially if they start seeing, you know, a bunch of really nice trees picked out with blue paint on them or something. So one of the things that I've done is I will just like clear out the dirt around the base of the tree that will help me. Um, and it's not as obvious or I'll use landmarks or I'll find big branches and lay them in a specific way where I know on the, on, you know, the trail that I use to get in when I cross this big branch, that tree is up on my right or something along that neighborhood. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. But, uh, but marking those trees somehow so that you know where to go is always a good idea. Um, and then I touched on saddle hunting, but really getting your mobile. If you're hunting public and you got a mobile setup, whether it's a tree stand, whether it's a saddle or a climber, um, a hang on, whatever you use, you know, really getting that tuned up um, over the summer is a very good idea. So you're not just you know, really winging it opening morning or opening evening and you're running behind and then you're sweating cause it's hot out and it sucks and, and mosquitoes are buzzing in your ear and you're slow to get up the tree. And there's a lot of things that, that can be really annoying about that. If you're not, uh, if you're not tuned in properly with all your gear beforehand. So, so picking those trees and then also, you know, one of the things I really like to do is I will color coat my onyx maps, the tree stands that I pick, I color code them based on the time of year that I want to hunt them. So how that would make sense is based on, you know, early season, I want to hunt food sources on field edges because foliage is too thick to get into the woods really. And, uh, mosquitoes, are very thick in the woods. They're lesser on the edges, a lot of times just due to wind. Um, I also want to focus on my entry and exit routes and how short and long they are 
because again, temperatures and just sweating and really stinking up all your clothes. Um, that's just something that I like to keep in mind. There are certain, you know, I will walk a mile in, I will walk a mile and a half in sometimes if I'm very certain of an area um, or a spot and I'm like, this is a good spot, great wind, great opportunity to get in here and hunt it, I'll do it. But a lot of times in the early season, personally, I like to start with the little honey holes, which are our spots close to parking lots where I think deer are and they're still there because the pressure hasn't been there all summer. And I might be able to get in and just, you know, sneak out a doe or sneak out a decent buck right away in the early season. Um, so I will color, like I said, I'll color coat those and I'll pick trees, um, based on when I want to hunt them. And that also goes for like pinch points, funnels, rub lines, scrapes, you know, you find a spot, you find a great scrape. This is a very common scenario, scenario, walking through a piece of public, you find an awesome rub line, you find a great scrape and you mark the tree. And then you come like September, October, you can't really think of anything. And you're like, man, there was that awesome spot with all those rubs and those big scrapes. You know, I want to go there. Well, that spot might not be even be good until, you know, late October when they really start you know, hitting those scrapes and really start getting after them or mid-October, uh, early November. So, you know, you're kind of shit out of luck then because you got a spot that's set up that you picked for October, late October, but you're hunting it in early October and it's not going to produce that well. So you want those different tree stands for the different times of year and different scenarios. It really comes down to, to food sources and then pre-rut with food sources for early season, pre-rut, which are scrapes and rubs, and then the rut, which are generally uh, pinch points and funnels and travel routes and bedding areas. And then you got your late season, which is again, food sources. And then you can hunt bedding areas any time of the year. They're generally always good if you have the right, the right winds, the right entry and exit routes. Like there's no problem with that. Just you know, be careful and try not to get too aggressive and bump all those deer out of there. Um, because then that bedding area is, you know, it's kind of blown. It's, it's not very good. And, uh, one of the other things is when it comes to bedding areas, I've had some, some people tell me like, Hey man, I bumped this, you know, I bumped this dough on my way in. I thought the bedding area was further in, you know, I bumped the dough and, and now like, is that bedding area good or is it, or is it bad? Like, is there anything going on? Like, should I just bail on this whole area or what? Um, in my personal opinion on that is there are generally like core bedding areas, which, you know, it can be an acre in size, but generally it's, it's smaller than that. And there are satellite beds. So a lot of times when I'm going into a spot, um, I, there's a very specific spot I'm thinking of in my head. It's, uh, this bedding area is kind of on the edge of a ridge, small ridge in a swamp, just a little bit of high ground. And the only way to get there and hunt that based on the public and how it just lays out is I have to go through this other piece of high ground. And I've put cameras on both the pieces of high ground. One of them really only holds small bucks and small, you know, small bucks and does. The other one holds big bucks and a lot of does. So I have to bump those deer out of the one small piece of high ground before I get to the big piece of high ground. But it's a calculated risk that I'm willing to take because I've, it's very rare 
that I get a big buck on that other piece of high ground. So, um, so that's something that you have to learn as you go. And I'm not saying that's every scenario or anything like that, but just because you bump a, a doe or a fork buck or something like that, or a small buck, it doesn't mean the area is toast. It doesn't mean it's dead. It doesn't mean you shouldn't, shouldn't still hunt it. It just means that, that you bumped that one deer. And there are plenty of times where, you know, you bump a deer and a big buck or does will just watch that buck run around and like, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe a raccoon scared him. Maybe a possum scared him. Maybe there was a fox in the area. Who knows why he's really running? Because if they don't smell you, they're not 100% sure either, either what's going on. So if that buck just gets out of there and then you can get into your spot, get in your tree, get set up and they're none the wiser. They just know that, you know, Jimmy ran away for some unknown reason. Like that's, that generally won't scare them. They might be a little cautious when they get up at first, but that's it. It doesn't mean they're, they're totally gone. So, um, so when you're picking your tree, this all ties back to tree stands, which is, you know, when you're picking them, uh, you want to pick them for those different, different scenarios that you want to hunt. Some are high risk, high reward. Some are low risk and generally low reward. It kind of works out together, you know, cause if you're, really getting into a deep bedding area in early season and you got a, you know, um, a marginal wind or something like that to get in there, that's a high risk. But if there is that big buck in there and that marginal wind is just perfect to keep your scent out of his nose and he's going to get up and, and walk past you, very high reward, right? That's what we're all looking for. Whereas a field edge on the edge of a soybean field on public land, um, very low risk. You can get in there, just walk in the field edge and get set up. But generally on public, the pressure is high enough and the deer are smart enough over the years that they're not going to enter that field during daylight hours. Um, after, you know, the first couple days of season, they figure it out and, they, and they're, they're done. You know, um, that's something I've seen over and over again on the pieces of public that I hunt. So it, uh, it really varies on, on what you want to do and what style or how aggressive you personally want to get. And for me, I mix it up. Some days I sit on field edges, some days actually it's pretty rare that I sit on field edges. I just don't have a lot of luck with them in my personal experience and, and how I hunt. I like to be in thick woods where if I see the deer, I'm pretty much able to shoot it. It's within 50 yards and I can, and I'm very likely to get a crack at it. So, um, and that's, for me, that's a lot of, that's, that's a more, um, high reward scenario, but, uh, but kind of high risk because a lot of my sits, I don't see a lot of deer, um, just because the scenarios I set up in, whereas you have other people that tell you, oh, I've seen 40 deer tonight, but I couldn't shoot one cause they were all out in the field, you know, and they didn't come around me or anything like that. Well, you know, that's cool, but you do that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times in a row and you're starting to get frustrated, like, all right, I'm seeing all these deers, but I can't kill any. And this kind of sucks. So, you know, it's, I've kind of moved past that personally in my hunting style is, you know, get in the thick of it. And if I see them, I can shoot them type of deal. And that also helps, you know, um, for them as well. Like they're cruising through the woods in some thicker cover and, uh, they don't see me until it's too late or they don't smell me or whatever, catch my movement until it's too late because then they're already in range and I can already get a crack at them. That also depends very much on me, uh, staying alert the whole time. But, 
at the same time, you know, that's, that's just how it goes. So, uh, yeah, when you're marking your tree stands and everything, you know, figure out if you like an area, figure out when it's good to hunt, you know, what time of the year it's good to hunt, what type of wind, you know, based on you. So you find a tree, you go, all right, this tree is good for, you know, early season. Cause it's, I think it's between this bedding area and this food source. It's going to be fairly open. There's going to be a good wind coming through. There's not going to be a ton of foliage. I got some good shooting lanes, so I'm going to haunt this early season. All right. How did I get here? Well, if I wanted to come here, I'd probably need to enter from the North. So I want a, some sort of South wind and that wind will keep my scent in my face the whole way here. I'll get set up. The trail is now to the South of the tree that I'm in. So my scent will never even cross that trail. And I think the deer are going to use it and I'll be able to enter and exit this. And the deer will be none the wiser. Like that is perfect setup. That's a, that's a great setup. And those are the setups that I strive for every time. Uh, it's also good to, good to note your prominent or dominant winds during a certain time of the year. So in Wisconsin, in the early season, September, and probably midway through October, the dominant winds are Southwest. So if I'm, and this is kind of like quote unquote, my next level, um, advancement of deer hunting is I pick my, uh, early season tree stands generally based on the assumption that it's going to be a Southwest wind because of a week, you know, four to five days of any given week are usually Southwest in Wisconsin in September. So odds are you're going to be hunting it during that uh, wind direction. Whereas, you know, as you get later in the year, the winds turn northwest. And also cold fronts are generally northwest winds as well. Every now and then you get this stray, squirrely east wind from out of fucking nowhere and you don't know what to do with it because I never planned for an east wind um, in Wisconsin and none of my other buddies do either. We just go, I don't know what I'm going to do with this east wind. But uh, but you, you kind of figure it out and that's one of the reasons why I always like to have a mobile setup even on private land is if I have this weekend to hunt and it's an east wind and I don't have any stands set up for an east, well, I'm going to find one and make one so I can still you know hunt effectively. But uh, but yeah, setting up for southwest winds in early season, northwest winds in mid, and then also late season, you know, is northwest. And you and you think about it based on, you know, cold. Like cold air comes from Canada, that's from the north. So cold air is coming north. So we're from the north. And uh warm air is coming from the south. So in the summer, you know, warm air is coming up. And uh in the winter, cold air is coming down. So it makes a lot of sense if you just think about it that way. And uh and then, yeah, the last piece of that was, you know, planning your entry and exit routes, making sure that you're not busting those prime bedding areas on your way in and out. Um, and you're trying to stay as, uh, as invisible as possible to the deer's nose their eye, and, and their eyes as well. And even not just when you're out there hunting, but also when you're not out hunting. Because if you can, some of my best stands and my best setups where I will you know, very likely see deer every time is, uh, stands where I never really cross a deer trail and I never have to, uh, reveal myself. So if I can get into a ditch or a Creek bottom and I can walk that Creek bottom pretty much 
all the way to the tree stand. I could pop out and I got like a 10 to 20 yard walk to my tree. Like those stands I look for and I, and I love to hunt because they just, the deer will never know you're there. You're, you're in the ditch, you're in the bottom so that, you know, your shape, your outline, your physical presence is masked from their sight. A lot of times your scent will blow right down that Creek bottom too, especially it's got a, if it's got a current, you know, that, that current actually pulls wind with it, you know, uh, just naturally pulls wind with it. So, uh, your scent will stay in there. And a lot of times that area, if it's got water in it will be cooler. So on hotter days, it'll be cooler air. So your scent will stay down but for the thermal. If you ever want to get into thermals, like your, your scent will stay down and just run that Creek bottom. So it won't pop up and run and go up on ridges or, or uh, anywhere else which is another really great way to access property is through kayaks and waders and creek bottoms. But then also when, when I pop up out of that ditch, um, you know, my, like I was saying, my scent's all in the Creek pop up out of that ditch. And then I can, I like to get my tree stand as close as I can to that ditch. So I don't have to step very far and I can just pop right up in there and nothing, like I said, is, is any, any the wiser. So those are, those are the premium setups, but finding those entry and exit routes, are a great way to increase your odds of seeing deer for sure and definitely killing them as well and keeping them uh keeping them unaware of your presence it's a good way to say that so that's that's my big one um and in public you know the other big thing if you're afraid of getting your trail cameras stolen you know i've talked a lot about cameras i use a lot of them um a lot of people ask me you know what I do and what, what cameras I use. I use Exodus trail cameras. They're great. And I bought them mainly. Um, they are more expensive than all, a lot of them, but they have a, a five-year warranty, which is great. But the big piece is the theft warranty. You know, the camera itself is great, takes great pictures, but it has a theft warranty where you can, if it does get stolen, like you put it out on public and it gets stolen, they'll give you 50% off your next one, which is awesome. Like I, I think that's a great, that I really appreciate that. I think that's a great, great thing for people to do. Um, and it really helps public land hunters because, you know, I've had, I don't know, six or seven trail cameras stolen on public land and I've had SD cards stolen. I've had cameras broken, you know, it just kind of sucks. But at the same time, they really, really help because I'm not out there every day and I can't watch and see what's going on every day. You know, everybody knows the benefits of trail cameras. The big piece over the summer is, there's very, very few people out there. There's like no one really. So if you really want to learn your piece and you're afraid of getting your camera stolen, put them out there in the summer. You know, there's like no one out there. So very, very low odds of getting them stolen. And then also during season, uh, generally my strategy there is I will hang a trail camera on Sunday night when I'm walking out of the woods during season and I'll pick it up on Friday night or Friday morning or Saturday morning when I go to hunt, because, you know, you probably, I don't know, 70 to 80% of the hunters out there are hunting during the weekend. So if you can keep your cameras out of the woods on the weekends and then just rehang them during the week, I know it's kind of a lot of work and a pain in the ass, but if you're hunting a, a specific area and you know, there's a good buck in the area, it can be really helpful to get that trail camera information and then also, you know, just having your cameras only out there during the work week makes, gives you less odds of having them stolen as well. 
course, lock lock them up, and if you can, hang them, you know, eight to ten feet in the air with a climbing stick. That's always a good option. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's another little trick that I have is just hang them during the work week. Um, so that's kind of what I got going on, and and if you're uh, just trying to think of anything else I can say for you know the summer work. I'm not much into food plotting. I don't know a lot about it. So don't, I'm a terrible resource. Go find uh, Jeff Sturgis, Whitetail Habitat Solutions. He's way better than I am. Well, probably I'll ever be with food plotting because he does a ton of it. He learns a lot about it. So if you're interested in that stuff, go find that. It's on YouTube. Just type in like Jeff Sturgis uh, and he'll pop up. But uh, um, so I don't, yeah. And then as far as, you know, hinge cutting and creating bedding areas and things like that, again, I'm not, I'm not too into that yet. I really am just kind of figuring out my objective on this piece of private land that we now own is, uh, you know, the side note here, it's pretty funny. Cause like, you know, people always say public land is harder to hunt cause there's more pressure. There's all these things. And yes, it's very true, but the, the freedom of public land is that you can't do any of these habitat improvements. You can't, you know, go in there and cut the hinge cut. You can't plant food plots. You can't do all these things. Um, can't trim lanes. You can't hang tree stands year round. There's all these things you can't do. So really all you need to do is walk your ass off and scout and figure out where the deer are, hang some trail cameras. Cause those are still okay to do. Um, and then have a good, climbing or have a good tree stand set up like those are the three things that i focused on for years was just having a very good setup so a saddle or a tree stand i ran a lone wolf for a long time now i run an arrow hunter saddle which i really like um trail cameras and then walking my ass off to find all these little tiny you know cubbies and little hidey holes that these deer hang out in that don't get a lot of pressure and i'm good at that like that's what i that's what i grew that's what i like to do just adventure and walk. Well, now with this piece of private, I, I feel like I need to learn how to food plot, how to hinge cut, how to create bedding areas, how to hang these tree stands, you know, year round, which I can do, but now I got to buy them all. Um, you know, and all these different things that coming along with private land ownership and then habitat management, all the things you can do, but I also don't want to screw them up. You know, I don't want to go hinge cut a whole area and be like, and then, you know, five years later being like, wow, that was a dumbass move. Like I don't want to do that. So my plan for this private is to really just learn how the deer use the land as it is today, you know, really just find their natural patterns, how they move through the property without any sort of habitat improvements. And then based on that, try to enhance the current travel to become more, I don't know, susceptible to a hunter, you know, try to make those travel routes that they're naturally going to take anyway. Um, more, more, yeah, like I said, more susceptible to being hunted on those travel routes. And, and I haven't figured out how to do that yet. You know, there's certain trees that I really like and I think are good, but they have some downfalls with them and I got to figure that out. Like how am I going to, you know, mitigate this? uh, mitigate this area. How am I going to clean this out? How maybe I should close some of these, you know, trails. I've heard of people doing that. Like, 
there's too many trails on a property. So they literally drop trees just to close off trails so that it funnels the deer into a singular trail rather than, you know, walking a whole hillside with five trails. Now there's only two for the deer to choose from. And that's something that's very attractive to me right now because I have that problem, but I don't know, I don't know the right way to go about it, you know, because at like, you know, the first trail for me is at 30 yards and the fifth trail is at 90 yards. So obviously I can't sit in the tree stand and, uh, and shoot that. I, that's way too far for me f- for sure. But, uh, but if I drop trees on those, you know, that fifth, fourth and third trail, then they'd have to use, you know, the lower trails and then, you know, definitely within range for both of those. So I, you know, I just don't, but is that the right thing to do or not? I, I'm not sure. And I'm trying to, I'm working my way through learning a lot about that and, and how, how to do that right the first time. So I'm not, you know, sc- really screwing it up and creating a lot of work for myself in the future. Cause, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of things that go into it, um, and how to do that. And then also, you know, all the food plotting stuff, like I have no clue, like, I feel like I should just be able to walk out there, throw seed on the ground and clover should pop up. But apparently that's not the case. And I need to do a lot of land prep and all this other stuff to it, which fine, you know, that's, that's cool. Like I'm okay with doing that, but it's just, you know, more time out of my schedule that I've never planned for previously, you know, um, which is something that my wife is not very fond of. (laughs) Um, So I, you know, I'm learning as I go. I'm trying to figure out and and become, you know, a jack of all trades with deer hunting, private or public land. And, and it's fun. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that adventure. I enjoy that exploration and the learning and just the knowledge that all goes with it because it's just, it's, it's fun. And ultimate goal for me is to be able to just be dropped off on any property anywhere, figure out where the deer are and be able to be able to kill one within a, within a week. Like that is the ultimate goal for me is to just be that knowledgeable on deer and deer hunting and how they use a piece of land. So anyway, that's what I got this week, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, next week I will be having a guest on. We'll probably be talking about, Oh, it might be talking about food plots to be honest. Um, might be going over some of that stuff, but, uh, might be doing some more summer prep stuff. Um, and might be going over some archery things, you know, arrow setups, bows, things like that, which I'm really trying to become better at as well. And, uh, and I'm not sure I got a few, I got a few guests, um, on the docket that I just need to, I just need to really nail down some times with and, uh, and get them on. But anyway, really appreciate, appreciate you guys tuning into this and having a listen. You guys have any questions, comments or anything, hit me up on Instagram. Let me know you listen to this and then just say, Hey, I got a question about this, or I really liked it. Just give me some feedback if you would appreciate that. And also if you think it's good, you know, and you can rate it, I know a lot of you guys listen on iTunes. Um, the stats tell me that. So if you could just give me a rating, really appreciate it. Uh, the first five people that give me a rating, I will send you a t-shirt. So I got some deer vein t-shirts. Um, just first five who do that really appreciate it. I'll send them over. I'll see you guys. And then I'll, I'll reach out and we'll get that figured out. All right. Awesome guys. And, uh, catch you later.